there are two lakes, two main lakes in Israel, that of the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. Both lakes are fed by the Jordan River. The difference between the two is that the Sea of Galilee has both an inlet and an outlet. And the Sea of Galilee is teeming with life to this day. It has water flowing into it and water flowing out of it, and it teems with life. The Dead Sea only has water flowing into it, and it is dead. This is a great analogy for the Christian life. You want to have a Christian life that is teeming with life, vibrant, fruitful, then the Spirit of God needs to be flowing in, but it also needs to be flowing out. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. I titled this message, The Hands of the Potter, Romans 9, verses 14 through 33. And today we are going to see God's sovereignty in verses 14 through 18. Vessels of Wrath and Mercy, verses 19 through 24. The Beloved and the Unbeloved, verses 25 through 29. The Righteous and the Unrighteous, verses 30 through 33. Father, help us, Lord, to just gain a little bit of understanding of your your sovereignty. Lord, when we ask those questions in life, why is this happening? Perhaps sometimes it's phrased in a way that says, why is this happening to me? Or why is this happening to my family or this nation? Lord, help us to gain a little better understanding of your your ways today. Help us, Lord, to realize that in every way we need to put our faith, our trust in our Savior Jesus, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. In verses 25 through 29, we find the beloved and the unbeloved. First of all, the beloved of God in verses 25 and 26 And he says also to Hosea, I will call them my people who are not my people and her beloved who was not beloved. And it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people. There they shall be called the sons of the living God. And so Paul now begins using Old Testament passages to support His argument here in Romans chapter 9, he goes back to the minor prophet Hosea. 
where God brings judgment against the northern tribe of Israel that leads them ultimately into the Assyrian captivity. In Hosea chapter 1, God called the prophet Hosea to do this bizarre thing. He told his prophet, Hosea, I want you to go down to the prostitutes and take for yourself a bride from the prostitutes. That bride's name was Gomer. And Gomer gave Hosea three children. And God had the privilege of naming each of Hosea and Gomer's children. The first was a son, and he called his name Jezreel. It means that God scatters. And through this child, God foretold the end result of Israel at this time is that they would be scattered throughout the world through the Assyrian captivity. The second child was a girl, and her name was Lo-Rumah, which means not pity or no mercy. I think I said her name wrong. I really don't get into Hebrew names that well. But God foretold of a season of the rejection of Israel where God would no longer show them his mercy. The third was a son whose name was Loami, and it means not my people. And as a husband to his wife Israel, God became estranged from Israel. He didn't totally reject them, but there was a season of separation. While all along, he was preparing to receive them back into his graces. And so Hosea 1.10 tells us, Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which shall not be measured or numbered. It shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people. There it shall be said to them, You are the sons of the living God. And so God was foretelling of a season in the nation of Israel where he was going to reject them for a season, for a period of time, but he would call them back. And so people who were considered not God's people or the people of God, he would receive them back and call them the sons of the living God. We also find in verses 25 and 26, Paul uses this example from Israel's past of God restoring the nation of Israel to show the current call of salvation toward the Gentiles. The Gentiles were not the people of God, yet now God was bringing them by the hundreds, by the thousands, into the kingdom of God. So much so that Peter said in 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who have called you out of darkness into his marvelous light who once were not a people, but now are the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. And so God's remnants, in verses 27 through 29, Isaiah also cried out concerning Israel, though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, and the remnant shall be saved. So once again, the great number as the sands of the sea. We talked about this last week. Have you ever tried counting the number of the grains of sand while you're at the beach, perhaps? Pick up a handful of sand and, and begin counting, one, separating them out. None of us have ever, well, maybe you have. Maybe you're that type of person. But only a remnant would be saved. In verse 28, 
for he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness because the Lord will make a short work upon the earth. This comes from Isaiah 10, verses 22 through 23. And God's judgment against Israel and Judah would come to an end, but a remnant would be saved. And so Paul now trying to show them, though the number of Israel was very great, there was only a remnant within the nation of Israel that would actually be saved. Isaiah 10, 20 tells us, It shall come to pass in that day that the remnant of Israel and such as have escaped from the house of Jacob will never again depend on him who defeated them, talking about the Assyrians or the Babylonians, but they will depend upon the Lord, the Holy One of Israel in truth. They will depend upon the Lord in truth. You know, we live in a day and age, and perhaps you've been guilty of putting your dependence upon too much upon mom and dad. As children, we should do this most definitely. Sometimes as adults, we put our dependence upon our government. I think sometimes we depend too greatly upon the government itself. But there was a point, this remnant of Israel and Judah, there was a point where they no longer put their dependence upon the Assyrians, the Babylonians, who had led them into captivity, not only their own nation of Israel that brought them in such a sinful state that they went into captivity, but they depended solely upon the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, in truth. Now Jesus is that Holy One. Jesus is the one who said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And in John 4, 23 and 24, Jesus said, The hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the power in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And Jesus being that truth. We need to be a people who put our dependence upon the Lord and in the Lord himself. And not upon man, not upon our government, but upon the Lord Jesus Christ. To be part of that remnant. In verse 29, as Isaiah said... Unless the Lord of Sabbath had left us a seed, we would have become like Sodom. We have been made like Gomorrah. And so Isaiah 1.9 is where he's quoting this from. And there the prophet speaks about the future condition of Judah and the cities and its people. If God had not, if God had not left them a remnant, a seed, they would have become like Sodom and Gomorrah. The area of Sodom and Gomorrah today in Israel, it's the area we know of as the Dead Sea. There's an interesting thing about the Dead Sea that I talked about the Jordan River, the little uh, vase behind me back there with water from the Jordan River. And again, it looks pretty clear for us here today, but that water is not clean there. There are two lakes, two main lakes in Israel that of the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. Both lakes are fed by the Jordan River. The difference between the two is that the Sea of Galilee has both an inlet and an outlet. And the Sea of Galilee is teeming with life to this day. 
It has water flowing into it and water flowing out of it, and it teems with life. The Dead Sea only has water flowing into it, and it is dead. That's why we call it the Dead Sea. So high is the content of salt water, you can float even without trying to float. If you don't float in water, you always sink, go to the Dead Sea, you'll find that you float. When you're floating in the Dead Sea, you want to make sure you keep your eyes closed. You don't want to get salt in your eyes. They actually have washing stations there for those tourists who open their eyes. But I believe this is a great analogy for the Christian life. You want to have a Christian life that is teeming with life, vibrant, fruitful, then the Spirit of God needs to be flowing in but it also needs to be flowing out. We don't need to be, as Amy Grant wrote a song many years ago, where they had a line in there where it says, he's just a fat little baby. He wants his bottle and he doesn't mean maybe. Talking about the Christian who sits in church and just receives in the word of God, but never gives it out. We need to receive from the Lord, but we also need to give it out. That is the Sea of Galilee. The Dead Sea only receives and never gives out. Well, here in Isaiah 1, the prophet speaks about the future condition of Judah, its cities and its people. In Judah's near future, instead of dwelling in great fortified cities, they would be reduced to dwelling in huts and shacks and tents and even in caves. And within 20 years, Israel would go into the Assyrian captivity, and very soon after that, Judah itself would go into the Babylonian captivity. And although Judah was heading to a season of severe warfare and captivity, Isaiah 1.9 looks to the future of God's preserving hand upon the remnant of Israel. You know, Lamentations 3.22 tells us, Though the Lord's mercies are not consumed, because his compassion fails not. Paul's letting his Jewish brethren know just because God was doing a great work among the Gentiles of their day, that God wasn't finished with the Jewish people. He had a plan for the Jewish nation as well, that a remnant would be saved. And to this day, we are hearing reports of more uh, in Israel itself, more Jews who are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. They are coming to know Jesus as the Messiah. And the potter's love is revealed through the restoring work of Jesus upon the cross. And finally, verses 30 through 33, we just wrap it up with this last point. The righteous and the unrighteous. We find the righteous of God in verses 30 and 31. And once again, Paul rhetorically asks the question, which he supposed his Jewish brethren would ask. He said, what then shall we say? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith. But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not obtained the law of righteousness. This pursuit of righteousness refers to the covenants and the laws that God had given to Abraham and his descendants. We might say the covenants that God gave to Abraham, his descendants, also the Mosaic law itself, the laws of the Moses, the Ten Commandments. The Jews have been faithful to 
passed down these commandments, these covenants, these laws to their people, but sadly their pursuit of these things became more about the works than that of faith. It became more about just doing the work of it, making sure that they were showing up. I, I talked to one of my friends, his father's funeral being last Friday, his father passing away last Sunday, and I was talking to one of my friends when I was growing up, and uh, he just came to faith, came back to the Lord on Easter just a few years ago. He had walked away from the Lord for a number, a number of years. And this might be why it's so important to invite family members on Easter Sunday morning, on Christmas, to church. You never know the work God's going to do in their hearts. But what he was telling me initially was, I suddenly realized that my faith needed to be more about those two services a year. Two services, Easter and Christmas. And on that particular Easter that his sister invited him to church, he gave his heart back to Jesus Christ. He's actually studying theology right now. And just a few years ago, he had brain surgery. And so things are a little difficult for him. And I said, well, that's probably good for you to exercising the brain with the word of God to help you. But we have that same thing. Israel had got into the tradition of their worship of God, but it was all works and not faith. And here in the United States, there are a lot of people get into the traditions of worshiping God, going to those two services a year, we might say. But it's just about doing the works and not faith. Sadly, their pursuit of righteousness had become more about the works than that of faith. And in Romans 10, 3 and 4, we'll get into this more next week. It says, for those being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for the righteousness to everyone who believes. Jesus is the end of these things. And it's not that the Gentiles or the Jews, a remnant from each group would come to faith. Not all Gentiles, not all Jews, but a remnant from each group would be saved that those who would place their faith in the work of Jesus, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension into heaven. And Jesus said in John 6, 29, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. And then again, he goes back to Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 8, verses 14. Also Isaiah 28, verse 16. And I'll read it from Romans 9 32 and 33 why because they did not seek it by faith as it were but by the works of the law for they stumbled at the stumbling stone as it is written behold i lay in zion a stumbling stone a rock of offense upon whom believes in him will not be put to shame that stumbling stone isaiah 8 14 that rock of offense, Isaiah 28, 16, God would become a sanctuary to those who hollowed and feared him. But on the other hand, those who rejected him, God became a stumbling stone to them. Why? Because they were trying to come to God through works. 1 Peter 2, 8, Paul talks about the same thing. A stumbling stone, a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word, 
which they also were appointed to. Perhaps Peter wrote about unbelieving Israel who had rejected Jesus Christ. However, whether Jew or Gentile, we have all been appointed to obey the word through faith in Jesus Christ. We've all been appointed. There's whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That is a gift that is available to whosoever will. But those who reject Jesus, they discover that Jesus then becomes a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. But the path to the potter's righteousness, understand that it's been paved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Today we've seen in verses 14 through 33, in a message that I titled, The Hands of the Potter, we first looked at God's sovereignty, verses 14 through 18. We find that the potter's mercy and his compassion has been revealed through the blood of his own son, Jesus. Next, we saw in verses 19 through 24, vessels of wrath and mercy, that the riches of the potter's glory, it comes by way of his great mercy toward us. The beloved and the unbeloved, verses 25 through 29, the potter's love is revealed through the restoring work of Jesus upon the cross. And finally, in verses 30 through 33, the righteous and the unrighteous, the path through the potter's righteousness, it's been paved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Perhaps today Jesus is speaking to your heart, asking you to put your trust in him. Maybe it's a matter of renewing like my friend did just a few years ago, gave his heart back to Jesus Christ. He, as a child in church, probably a teenager, came to faith in Jesus Christ, but he spent a number of years apart from Christ. And he realized that it's not about the annual work of showing up once or twice a year, but that I needed to get serious about this thing. And he he dedicated his heart back to Jesus Christ. This man had a great example through his father. At the time, my dad's church was called Mount Carmel Baptist Church. Before there was any such a thought, on the same Sunday morning, God called two men into ministry. One was my father to preach the word of God. And the other was Doyle Cleveland, who just passed away this past week, to lead people in the worship of God. The same church on the same Sunday morning, God called a future pastor and his future worship leader. Pretty cool. That God would do such a thing. Imagine that. The hand of the potter has the right to do such things. And so this man, my friend that I was talking to, he had a great example in his father. Someone who loved God and served God through the 81 years of his life. Maybe uh, you have a past where you have at one time walked in fellowship with God, maybe as a child, maybe as a teenager, but you've drifted and the Lord is calling you back today. You know, it doesn't matter our nationality, our families, where we have come from, what we've done to this point in our lives, whether we've been good or bad, what we would deem good or bad in this life. What does matter is whether we have cried out to Jesus, realizing that we can't save ourselves, only Christ alone can save. The Word of God tells us that there is no shame for those who put their trust in Jesus. In Romans 10, 11 through 13, it tells us, whoever believes on him 
will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew or Greek. For he is the same Lord who is rich over all who calls upon him. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I want to challenge you today. If you've never cried out to Jesus in life-saving faith. Or maybe it's a matter of crying out to the Lord once again. To renew that fellowship once again. Know that it's only Jesus who can save. The battle is God's and it's God's alone. And he has fought that battle through his son, Jesus Christ, upon the cross. So all we need to do is to give it up to Jesus, to cry out to him, for the battle belongs to the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word and for what it teaches us this day. And I pray, Lord, that we would know that, that the battle is yours. And I pray, Lord, that if you're moving on the hearts of any individual today, as Pastor Kevin is down front for those who might need. Lord, we pray that you would be with us now as we stand for this next song. As we close out this service, let your spirit be among us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today.